New Hampshire. This is Saturday Sports Talk on the first Saturday of spring. Greg Fennell with you for the next hour, catching you up on stuff around the area. Coming up in just a little bit, we'll be hearing from Upper Valley Nighthawks President Noah Crane. Yes, we are still more than two months away from the summer baseball season, but a lot of things still going on for the Nighthawks and the NECBL as they get ready. I think it's year number six for the team over in White River Junction. We'll talk about that. We'll look ahead to Dartmouth Sports as we see baseball and softball getting back into Hanover for the first home series of the current season. Chance to go out and see some ball this weekend, particularly on a nice day like today, even if it is a little bit cool outside. We'll look ahead to those contests and other ones that Dartmouth has coming up. And of course, this is just the start of three hours of live and local and sometimes with squealing in the background uh, for NTK and UVR today. We'll have Bob Hingston filling in for Rich Parker again, along with Rob Woodard for Valley Buzz. That'll start after the 10 o'clock news and weather right here on NTK and UVR. Got uh, Dapper Dan down at the studio in New London, one 299 to join the program. Of course, we're here live at the Hilton Garden Inn between Route 120 and La Bombard Road in Lebanon to do what we do every Saturday morning, talk about sports for three hours. And we'll do it for the next hour right here on Saturday Sports Talk. But before we go to that, Let's talk about last night, because not everything in the world of sports on Friday night made it to Saturday's newspaper. We're going to read about it. Courtside of Philadelphia's Wells Fargo Arena last night found their workspaces interrupted slightly by a pair of very large powder blue basketball shoes. They were owned by St. Peter's guard Doug Edert, who was celebrating the 15th seed's latest Cinderella surprise at the NCAA tournament. This time the Peacocks were beating Purdue, a third seed, in a round of 16 contest in Philadelphia. 67-64 Cinderella continues to move on at the NCAA tournament. Edert's giant leap caught Coach Shaheen Holloway by surprise. He asked uh, his uh, counterpart at the post-game news conference if he actually did step up and jump on a table, and Eater kind of got a little bit squirmish and said, next question. But the truth be told, St. Peter's just doing it again. Tiny little commuter school. You'd drive right by it if you were in downtown Jersey City. Only 2,100 students there, and they are making history. Now the first 15th seed to make it to the Elite Eight. They did it by staying close to Purdue all night long in a contest in which neither team had more than a six-point lead. A late six-point run put St. Peter's ahead, and they held on late for the victory. That adds to their other pelts, upsetting number two seed Kentucky in the first round, seven seed Murray State in the second round. Next up, you're going to get the Blue Bloods from North Carolina. Although the Tar Heels are only an eighth seed, in the uh, East region, uh, they still obviously have a lot of history behind them, and they want to add to it after getting 73-66 uh, win over at UCLA in last night's other game down in Philadelphia. Uh, Caleb Love with 30 points for the Tar Heels in that one. So they will play on Sunday for the East Regional Championship and the invitation to the Final Four down in New Orleans. The Midwest Regional uh, semifinals yesterday, uh, well, you know, went pretty much as expected, although one of the matchups was between two low seeds. Number one, Kansas moved on, ending number four, Providence's season 66-64, make it 66-61, sorry. And uh, Miami, a 10 seed, beat number 11, uh, Iowa State, 70-56. So the Hurricanes and the Jayhawks will be the matchup for the Midwest Region final coming up on Sunday. 
we'll get our first two Final Four teams today with the uh, South Region final going on tonight down at the AT&T Center in San Antonio, pitting number two, Villanova, and number five, Houston. And then Mike Krzyzewski sees as he can continue his 42nd and final season in charge of the Duke Blue Devils a little bit before 9 o'clock tonight at the Chase Center in San Francisco. Blue Devils are a second seed, taking on number four, Arkansas, a squad that barely got past Vermont in the first round of the tournament. That's the West Region final for the Elite Eight in the NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament. On the women's side last night to the Greensboro region, number one South Carolina had a bit of a battle, but uh, beat uh, fifth seed North Carolina, and the count there 69-61. The overall number one seed is 32-2 and on the season now, and also winning from the Greensboro region last night, uh, number 10 Creighton with the upset over third seed Iowa State, 76-68. The Spokane region matchup saw number one Stanford take a double-digit lead early and go on to a 72-66 win over fourth seed Maryland, and second seed Texas uh, gutted its way past number six seed Ohio State, 66-63. The women's matchups today for the rest of their Sweet 16 in the Bridgeport region, number one NC State against number five Notre Dame, second seed UConn against third seeded upstart Indiana, and down at the Wichita region, it'll be uh, number one seed Louisville against uh, resurgent number four of Tennessee going back to its roots. And 10 seed South Dakota, which is better than a 10 seed would indicate, they go on against number three Michigan. That's the other Wichita regional game at 6.30 tonight. NBA action on a Friday night, not quite as busy as some Fridays can be. Charlotte, a 107-101 winner over Utah. Washington beat Detroit 100-97. Atlanta topped the Warriors 121-110. Knicks over Miami 111-103. Bit of a surprise, but we'll tell you more about that in a moment. Minnesota 116 and Dallas 95. Houston a winner over Portland 125-106. And Philadelphia victorious in Los Angeles over the Clippers 127 to 122-97, I should say. What is interesting about that Miami loss is also tied into how well the Boston Celtics are playing. Celts uh, will host Minnesota today, or Sunday rather, in their next contest. They remain one of the hottest teams in the NBA with nine wins in their last ten games. A few weeks ago we were talking about how the Celtics were barely staying in the picture for the seven through ten play-in in the NBA playoffs. Now they, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, and Miami in reverse order from four to one. They're all separated by one game in the East, so the thought of being the number one seed with 10 to 12 games left in the regular season is certainly reality for a Celtics team that now I think probably needs to have its goals reimagined. They could be a title contender the way that Ime Udoka has them playing right now. NHL last night, uh, Alexander Ovechkin got his 41st goal of the season, but it took a shootout win for Washington to beat Buffalo in Buffalo 4-3. to Rangers routed Pittsburgh 5-1. Winnipeg beat Columbus in overtime 4-3. Uh, Colorado doubled up Philadelphia 6-3. And Calgary a winner over Arizona 4-2. The Bruins have a matinee down at TD Garden this afternoon. 12-30 faceoff time against the disappointing New York Islanders. Elsewhere in the world of hockey, uh, NCAA tournament working its way through regional action at the PPL Center down in Allenstown, Pennsylvania, Midwest Regional yesterday. Michigan a 5-3 winner over American International and the ECAC champions, uh, at least from the regular season, Quinnipiac, battled past St. Cloud State 5-4. Down at the DCU Center in Worcester, Minnesota, a 4-3 winner over UMass in overtime. Western Michigan beat Northeastern in overtime. That score there was 2-1. to one. We're at the regional final stage now for the uh, NCAA hockey tournament. 
the uh, East Regional will be decided between Minnesota State and Notre Dame tonight, and the West Regional out in Colorado will find number three Denver and number six Minnesota Duluth deciding who goes on to the Frozen Four. Moving on to the world of baseball, the Red Sox and their big free agent signing from the past week haven't had a chance to get together on the field, but for a good reason. Trevor Story had to fly back to uh, Texas yesterday to be with his wife, Mally, for the birth of their first child. He officially signed his six-year, $140 million contract on Wednesday, but Story has yet to play a game for the Red Sox down in the Grapefruit League. Uh, only have about a, a week and a half left of games to get adjusted to the notion of moving over to second base. Of course, Story was a shortstop with the Colorado Rockies before the Red Sox signed him and say they're going to move him to second base to keep Xander Bogarts at shortstop. We'll see how that goes when he gets back to town. Not sure when that's going to happen. One roster note yesterday uh, of interest for Red Sox fans. If you get deep into these things, right-handed pitcher uh, Brian Bellow option to AAA Worcester. He is considered the best pitching prospect in the Red Sox farm system. He uh, made his debut in the Grapefruit League on Friday, had a 1-2-3 uh, eighth inning and a 6-3 loss to Atlanta, included a strikeout and a good defensive play. But he could make his way back up to the big league camp as a minor league extra at some point before uh, things wind down. As noted before, the Sox lost to Atlanta yesterday. Score there was uh, 6-3, and they'll play the Tampa Bay Rays in a contest at 105 at JetBlue Park today with Michael Walker on the mound, having won his previous start in Grapefruit League action. Dave Roberts, uh, he's getting a contract extension and a deserved one with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He figured it would happen one way or the other, and it did. He got a three-year extension agreed upon yesterday with the team. His uh, current deal was supposed to expire at the end of this season, but financial terms not announced by the team yesterday. Very deserved for Mr. Roberts. Moving on over to the NFL, uh, Deshaun Watson now officially a member of the Cleveland Browns, although he spent most of yesterday talking about the legal issues that uh, have hampered his uh, arrival with the team, uh, saying that he, was in, he maintained his innocence uh, in the face of uh, 22 civil lawsuits alleging sexual assault and misconduct. Uh, partly because he has seen two grand juries in separate Texas counties this week decide not to charge him with criminal charges. Still no decision yet from the Browns on what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield, the person that Watson is uh, supplanting as quarterback after getting his fully guaranteed $230 million contract from the Browns earlier this week. Marcus Valdez-Scandling Scandling said that as soon as he saw the Tyreek Hill was heading off to Miami. He knew what his opportunity was. He has signed a three-year, $30 million contract with the Kansas City Chiefs after Hill's trade to the Dolphins earlier this week by Kansas City. What does it take to get an auto race canceled beside weather? Well, apparently violence is not one of them. Formula One is saying that its race in Saudi Arabia tomorrow will go on despite attacks on the Saudi Arabian Kingdom by Houthi rebels from Yemen. The announcement coming early this morning, a day after rebels attacked an oil depot located about seven miles from the Jeddah racetrack in Saudi Arabia, F1 has received, quote, detailed assurances that the event is secure, according to a statement from the association. That attack happened while the first practice was taking place on Friday. Late last night, the 20 drivers involved met, uh, and that meeting went past two in the morning to discuss safety concerns. But as of right now, despite what the Grand Prix Drivers Association termed a stressful day, in quotes, it looks like the race will still go on tomorrow in Saudi Arabia. As for NASCAR, they are doing road racing as well at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas, 
qualifying for the Cup Series will be about 11 o'clock this morning. The race itself is a 3.30 start tomorrow afternoon. Also among big events in Austin this weekend, the World Match Play Golf Championship going on with round of 16 uh, matches getting started early this morning. Already, Scotty Shuffler finds himself down three to Billy Horschel in the opening match of the round of 16. Ireland's Seamus Powell up uh, through two holes, one up on Tyrell Hatton of England, and another Englishman, uh, Richard Bland, leading 8th seed Justin du uh, Dustin Johnson, one up through one hole. Uh, John Rahm, the top seed, and 16th seed Brooks Kepka just getting started with uh, four other matches behind that. They'll have the round of eight later on today at, down at uh, Austin. Soccer, it's a light day for Major League Soccer with the international break right now for World Cup qualifying. A couple of games today, one tomorrow. What everybody in the soccer world is watching right now is the U.S. national team. After a fairly positive scoreless draw Thursday night down at the Azteca in Mexico City against the Mexicans, U.S. on the cusp of qualifying for the World Cup in November in Qatar. What they have to do tomorrow is beat Panama down in Orlando, Florida. If they do that, they will, for all intents and purposes, be all set to go with one match to go, regardless of what happens with Costa Rica's matchup tomorrow down in El Salvador. U.S. would have a three-point lead on Costa Rica for the third spot. Number four gets you a one-game playoff in Cotter for a conditional tournament spot later on this summer. But with a superior goal differential, one that Costa Rica would have to uh, clobber by about a 7 nothing margin, U.S. would be in really good shape. But the bottom line is, must win tomorrow. And they're going to have to do it, not only without injured players like Weston McKinney and Matt Turner and Serginio Dest, but without Tim Weah up front and without DeAndre Yedlin at outside back because they both got their second yellow cards in that win against Mexico. And with that comes a one-game suspension. Finally, we have seen and we will continue to see over and over again the horrors of Russia's illegal and illogical invasion of Ukraine. But one interesting note came out of it from the sports standpoint earlier today. A Ukrainian woman who fled the country when the war got started has won this year's Jerusalem Marathon. Valentina Varetska is 31 years of age, fled with her 11-year-old daughter from the southern city of Mykolaiv shortly after Russia invaded. She was invited to participate in the Jerusalem Marathon and won it earlier today in a time of 2 hours, 45 minutes, and 54 seconds. And Israeli Gezi Guadi won the men's race in 237.17. Kind of neat to see. That does it for Read About It. We're closing in on 921. When we come back, Upper Valley Nighthawks President Noah Crane talking about the upcoming New England Collegiate Baseball League season. This is Saturday Sports Talk at WNTK and WBR. We don't have Noah quite yet, so uh, we'll see if we can get Dan, Dapper Dan down at the studio to uh, get Noah on the program here, talk a little baseball about uh, the New England Collegiate Baseball League's upcoming season. Uh, one couple of things that I've noted um, in just doing some uh, some preseason prep for uh, the uh, summer season 
is that a couple of things. Uh, one, the NECBL has um, compressed the schedule this year to some extent. They're still going to do the usual, I think it is, 44-game uh, schedule, but it looks like they've squeezed it into the calendar um, by one fewer week. Uh, they're going to get the regular season done by the end of July, and I think that's going to be a, a direct issue from last year. If you remember, the uh, the Nighthawks had their best playoff run uh, in program history getting to the league semifinals, but they kept dropping players as we got deeper and deeper into the month of August because a lot of these guys have to get back to their um, college programs by the middle of August to get ready for their upcoming fall baseball seasons. And uh, by the time they were playing the North Shore Navigators, and uh, by the time they got to the, the semifinal round, they had so few guys that Upper Valley really couldn't play uh, any more contests and do so safely. So ultimately, uh, they fell in that series to North Shore, and that was it. But it really kind of raised a lot of, um, uh, raised a few questions about uh, timing of the season and things like that. And now Noah is good enough to be on the, on the program here. And as I was noting before we got you going, Noah, that um, it looks like the NECBL has made some adjustments because of what happened to the Nighthawks at the end of last year. Still doing the full schedule, but in a smaller calendar time. Would that be a fair thing to say? Yeah, absolutely. We have made some minor adjustments, which I think will be beneficial for us. Let's talk about the, the scheduling from, from that standpoint. How does everything change in terms of off days and, and stuff like that for the coming summer season? They're trying to keep to one off day a week. And uh, they, the scheduling piece that is going to be helpful is we used to find a common off date to plug in for a rainout. Now we're going to do a double header when that happens. So it keeps the off date intact, which is good for the players, uh, and also doesn't eat up more of the schedule on the back end. We've also ended the season a little bit earlier than we usually do, and the playoff rounds have been cut down as well. Uh, tell me about the playoffs. How, is, how has that changed? So we've actually switched to a three-division lineup now where we have north, south, and east. I actually forget what the breakdowns are. I know we're in the north. I've got that down. Uh, but I think there's a coastal division. That's what it is. So they're going to take the winners of those divisions and then wild cards as well. They will play each other in a one-game playoff, go play the one seed in each division, and then the one seeds will play each other. So the so goal last is to get it done year, a little bit sooner, obviously. Yeah, like last year you were playing 8th, 9th, 10th of August. It sounds like you're going to try to get this done within the first week of August, if not sooner. Yes, that's correct. And then last year was an anomaly. We made the decision because of COVID that everyone was going to make the playoffs. And that was based on the thinking of, well, how fair would it be if somebody only played 30 games because they lost 12 to COVID protocol? and were clearly the better team but had a worse record because they didn't play all the games. So they said, all right, we'll let everybody in. And so that expanded the playoffs, took up more time. We had all of those rain dates, rain during the playoff series as well, that it contributed to the lateness of the season. Talking summer baseball with Noah Crane from the Upper Valley Nighthawks. So... Yeah, I'm sure you're like everybody else. You you grew up playing baseball in high school and college and coached at various levels, and now you have this summer baseball team. When when everything got done with the major league lockout and it was clear that spring training was going to happen in in, um, in truncated form, uh, did that get you start 
really looking forward, not just to the usual baseball season, but for the summer season as well? Yeah, certainly. Uh, all the more so. I think the benefit of summer college baseball is the intimacy and the connection to the fans. I, I really believe that Major League Baseball has lost sight of their fans because of the economics, the money that rolls in from the TV deals, that they almost don't need fans, which is a weird thing to say because you obviously want people watching the TV and that, watching the ads and that pays for things. But it very much seems like Major League Baseball does not care about fans in the ballpark. Ticket prices are extremely high. Games are on too late. They're not catering to younger fans. For us, that's exactly the opposite. We want families. We want kids to grow up loving the game of baseball. And in the context that we find ourselves now, baseball is seen as slow and boring. But if you come to a Nighthawks game and you interact with our players and you watch our games, you're not going to come to that conclusion that baseball is slow and boring. So we want to do at least a small part to rekindle an interest in baseball. And hopefully, Major League Baseball will start to make some inroads with younger fans and the game can rebound a little bit. Or in the last uh, week of March, you don't play your first game until June 7th. So what is typically on your to-do list at this time of the year? Monitoring the roster, for sure. There are always going to be some players who underperform that we may have to shift out. People who get injured as well. So we're watching that. Uh, more it's focused on the sponsorship piece at this point and getting ready for opening day. And we're in a wonderful place right now that this is year six for us. So we're not in that growth mode of scrambling and trying to get everything put together. And we know what needs to be done when. We've got an amazing staff put together for this summer, and I'm excited to see them at work. So it's more just checking off the boxes of getting everything ready for opening day, making sure the food's ordered and the uniforms are all set and clean and tidy. And once we get a little bit closer, go out and start hanging banners. 9.31 on Saturday Sports Talk, talking summer baseball with Noah Crane. Um, once again, I've seen uh, on Facebook your appeal for host families. How is that cottoning out so far? So far, so good. We're always looking for a few new families. Folks have situational changes in somebody's home from college that they didn't anticipate, or they're going to be out traveling and so they can't host. So we're always looking for a few new hosts to fill in from the folks who have done it over the years. But the thing that has always been a great encouragement to me is the host family retention that we have. We have families who have been hosting since year one because they appreciate the opportunity. They're generous and philanthropic by nature. And we don't have to go out and recruit 33 new hosts every single year. We have to find some new ones and find some replacements for people who maybe have moved away. But by and large, it's a much easier task than some of my colleagues have to deal with. Can you compare it to the experience you and your dad had when you were running the Laconia franchise before Upper Valley got started? Night and day difference. Really? Laconia was incredibly difficult to find host families. Uh, the Upper Valley certainly has a little bit more economic wherewithal. And so folks who have an extra bedroom that's open and have a little bit of room in their budget to feed a college athlete, that is more readily available here. And then there's just a connectedness to the Upper Valley that didn't exist in the Lakes region. 
there's, I don't want to say animosity, that's a little bit too strong of a word, but some of the communities there look down upon Laconia and they don't play nicely. Here in the Upper Valley, you just don't have that. People are used to living in one town and working in another, traveling around, going to restaurants in different places, crossing borders, both town and state, that there is a unity and a connectedness that exists in the Upper Valley, as well as just a generosity of spirit that's here that's made it so much easier for us to find host families. Now, for the record, and again, in the interest of full disclosure, my wife and I have hosted for, for all five previous years. Um, discuss for me the, the basics you need from a host family. And also, is there a geographic area in which you wish those host families to stay so as to uh, make transportation less of an issue? Yes, ideally about 15 minutes from the field. We have some late games. The guys are getting back home. And so we don't want them driving up to Berkshire or down to New London at 1.30 in the morning. And so the closer they are to the Maxfield Sports Complex, the better. And really the primary towns of Hanover, Norwich, Lebanon, Hartford. But we've had host families in Heartland. We've had them in Merritt and Plainfield. And we've even stretched out into Lyme or even just kind of Thetford if the situation was right. Is the coaching staff remaining the same this season? It is, and that is a huge blessing to me and something I'm excited about. I really feel Justin and Chad did an amazing job last summer. Uh, the guys took to them quickly. They managed the roster well. We played well. It was, it was just a great situation. And then on top of that, we're bringing back Matt Paws, who was an assistant for us for two years prior. So this is a staff of locals. It's a staff of people who have experience with the Nighthawks and with with the league. And lastly, uh, in, in looking at the roster that you have so far, and again knowing that, that this will adjust over the next two uh, months or so, uh, I already see five guys on there who have played here before, three pitchers and uh, two field players. What does it mean to you uh, to get back guys who have been here before. It makes my job a lot easier. As those are people that we can trust in the community, that we like and that we enjoy, and that we know can perform at this level. And so the guessing game of will this person... I think we just, just lost person... Noah with a uh, suspect connection on the cell phone here. So I will tell you what we're going to do. We're going to wrap things up, for, at least for this portion of the program. Thank you, Noah, very much for joining us and talking a little bit of Upper Valley Nighthawks baseball. Again, the season will get started on June the 7th. If you will bear with me, I can confirm when that is and get the first couple of games for you out there. Uh, the roster is still in the process of being formed. As Noah noted, uh, there will be uh, some changes due to injuries or, or lack of performance. So what you see on the Upper Valley Nighthawks website right now is not 100% what you're going to see in June, but very much largely is the case. The season does begin on Tuesday, June 7th out at uh, Goodall Park in uh, Sanford, Maine. First home game will be on Saturday, June the 11th with the Winnipesaukee Muskrats coming to town. 44 games stretched out over about eight weeks or so. It's really, and I, I speak from personal experience on this, this is a lot of fun. It's good baseball. Uh, you get a lot of good kids, and 
it, it, it it's it's inexpensive also thanks to sponsorship the nighthawks don't charge admission or won't for the second straight year so uh it, it's gonna be fun and i'm looking forward to it i know my wife is looking forward to it thank you again noah for joining us on the program and, and apologies for uh, the uh, bad connection today here on the program i'm greg fennel this is saturday sports talk we'll take a look at the Dartmouth schedule for the weekend when we come back just a moment have him good to talk to him as we uh, get uh, a little bit closer to baseball season of course the big guys the major league season gets started on april 7th the red sox opening a series at yankee stadium against new york and once again a reminder that you'll be able to catch the entire 162 game regular season and any and all playoffs right here wntk 99.7 fm usually uh well i'm trying to remember how long their pregames are if they go a full hour or 30 minutes, one way or the other. You'll be able to watch the or hear the entire season with Joe Castiglione and company on the Red Sox radio network once again on NTK 99.7 FM. I'm Greg Fennell. This is Saturday Sports Talk at 9.42. Uh, encouraging sign of spring is when Dartmouth sports finally come back to Hanover, and this is the weekend when things really get going in earnest. Uh, what's neat to note is some of the stuff that Rick Bender up at Dartmouth Sports Information and his staff has been pumping out to preview what's happening this weekend. For instance, baseball. Yeah, we got baseball in the brain around here. Um, Ivy League action at uh, Red Rolf Field for the first time since May 5th, 2019. And that was when longtime coach Bob Whalen, who was just about the only person left in Upper Valley Sports Coaching College or high school who started right about the time I did around here, he was getting a 600th win as Dartmouth coach uh, at that time. Since then, there has been no Ivy League baseball in Hanover. Lost the entire 2021 season to the pandemic, almost all the 2020 season. Um, and in fact, when things started happening in mid-March of 2020, Dartmouth was on one of its trip typical southern road trips to get the season started. So they never played a game in Hanover. So it's been literally three years, almost three years, since there's been a baseball game uh, college baseball game of importance played at uh, Red Roll Field, and that'll be happening uh, all weekend with uh, Dartmouth taking on Brown for a doubleheader today. They will start at uh, 11.30 this morning with the opening game, and then another game coming up uh, tomorrow at Red Roll Field. That'll be a noon start up in Hanover. Um, so really, it, it's, it's a weird situation because since it's been three years since uh, Ivy League teams have played each other, you're going to be seeing... 
complete rosters of new faces, or at least they will, because uh, there's been, you know, no competitive baseball in all that time. So what exactly does Dartmouth have going for it? Well, first of all, the spring trip went reasonably well. 15 games uh, over multiple weeks. Uh, the Big Green coming back with a 7-8 and eight record, although keep in mind some of those most recent victories were against Division, uh, division three teams, uh, like I think maybe Williams once, maybe Bowden uh, as well. So uh, they haven't been playing uh, top drawer competition, but at least they've been getting some competition as well. The most recent trip, eight games down in Florida at the Russ Matt Invitational in Auburndale, uh, started off with four straight losses, but Dartmouth won the uh, last four, and as a trip uh, averaged, uh, for the trip, averaged nearly eight runs a game and hit close to 300 as a team. Uh, Kate Kretschmer uh, had a very good uh, trip down to Florida, went 12 for 29, had a pair of triples, drove in 11 runs. Colton Freeman, another newcomer, uh, had uh, three of the team's four home runs during that time. He slugged 769, had eight RBIs. Justin Murray, uh, four doubles in five games. Connor Birch, who has reportedly committed to the North Shore Navigators in the NECBL this summer. So he'll uh, be popping back in the area for uh, college uh, games over at Maxfield on a couple of occasions. He had a hit in every game. So he's uh, on a 12-game hitting streak entering this set with Brown this weekend. Uh, 262 games between the teams since they first met way back in 1871, which was before when I started here in the Upper Valley. Uh, has the edge in that, and they've won the season series in 10 of the last 12 seasons in which they played, although there was a split of the last couple. Uh, so that gets started up at Red Rolf today, 11.30 for the doubleheader, and 12 noon for the single game tomorrow for Dartmouth and Brown baseball. Similarly, Dartmouth softball has not played a whole lot at home. Uh, of course, two seasons abbreviated by COVID-19. Got in a few games here and there uh, last year, but not a whole lot of action. And again, certainly no uh, Ivy League action for a Dartmouth team that uh, has struggled throughout much of the uh, spring. Dartmouth softball has. Uh, they have won, however, 21 of the last 27 games they played in Hanover against Yale, who is the team visiting this weekend. And uh, similarly, the schedule will have two games today and one tomorrow. The doubleheader for today at uh, Dartmouth Softball Park starts at 12.30. Second game scheduled to start around uh, 2.30. And then uh, tomorrow is a 12.30 start for the single game over at uh, Dartmouth Softball Park. Um, real tough competition. Got to give Dartmouth uh, some credit on this. They played some nationally ranked teams during their trips down south. Uh, Georgia, I believe, was one of them. A few others as well. So it wasn't like they played... Um, uh, you know, uh, cardboard cutouts. They they did have some some tough competition as well. Uh, so far, senior second baseman Billy McFadden having a pretty good spring. Six RBIs, five stolen bases, hitting 269. Uh, freshman uh, Alana Panu also has done well at the plate with a 308 on base percentage and four doubles and seven runs so far. Uh, in the circle, Brooke Plunka getting uh, the bulk of the starting. Uh, uh, offerings on the uh, on the rubber had a five nothing shutout of Mercer uh, in one of those games where she struck out 13 and allowed just four hits. Freshman Rachel McCarroll also getting some time uh, pitching well. She had uh, a near no hitter uh, against Georgia Tech before Dartmouth dropped a one nothing. Rambling rambling wreck in that one. Again, uh, Dartmouth softball doubleheader today. Game one at 12.30, game two at 2.30, single one at 12.30 tomorrow. And uh, it's looking like the weather is going to be fairly cooperative through the weekend for you to get outdoor, outdoors and see some ball. 
If you like lacrosse, things are also picking up as well. Uh, seventh game of the season for Dartmouth men, although they'll be down at 15th-ranked Harvard today. That is a 4 o'clock start down at Jordan Field in Alston, Massachusetts. Dartmouth 4-2, and two, Harvard 5-1. and one. Uh, As the Dartmouth uh, Sports Information Department notes, the first time in 1,063 days that the Big Green will play an Ivy League contest. So really, very, very long time. Uh, Dartmouth had a good uh, performance against Ohio State on Tuesday, at least for a half. They went scoreless in the second half and ultimately lost out in Columbus by a count of 12-6 to the Buckeyes, who are ranked ninth in the country. I'm going through college in the 1980s. Ohio State didn't even know what lacrosse is, and now it's got a squad that's in the top ten nationally. That's uh, something to shake your head at. Uh, Big Green uh, is uh, looking to continue to improve. Here's a squad that has lost its last, I think, 29 Ivy League games in a row. Um, So it's really chomping at the bit to have some success within the league, and that would be a sign that uh, Coach Brendan Callahan and company are starting to make some progress within the league. Uh, For right now, though, they have the date at Harvard this week. They will be at home a week from today to entertain Cornell, which is traditionally one of the stronger programs in Ivy League men's lacrosse. And then uh, two more home games on April 5th against Stony Brook and the 9th against Yale. Uh, So... After this, three games at home, opportunities for Dartmouth to finally break that long losing streak in Ivy League play. And as for women's lacrosse, they're also going to be on the road this weekend. Dartmouth, after a couple of early wins, has dropped to 2-4 and four and did drop their first game in Ivy League play recently. Uh, the Big Green did, and that would be, uh, what, about a week ago? Yeah, uh, lost an 18, uh, rather a 13 get this right. No, it was earlier in May and March, early in the season, dropped a 12-9 decision to Yale up at Scully Fahey Field. Since then, they've beaten Merrimack, lost two nationally ranked games uh, to number 22 UMass and to number four Northwestern, the latter coming this past Monday. Uh, and uh, that also is uh, the uh, middle of a, or was the start of a four-game road trip for the Big Green at Brown tomorrow. Then they have trips back down to Boston to take on Boston College on Wednesday and Harvard a week from tomorrow. So the contest today, opportunity for the Big Green to get one in the win column in the uh, Ivy League turn or Ivy League standings and uh, start pointing toward that Ivy League tournament at the uh, end of the season. Uh, Bears uh, saw their last action on Tuesday, losing to number six Stony Brook 15-3. So both squads will be looking to get off the schneid tomorrow afternoon down in Providence. It is uh, coming up on 9.50. Let's take one more time out, and in the next two, three minutes, I'll think of something to talk about. <laughs> but you can join as well. one 299 Dapper Dan down in the studio in London. I'm Greg Fennell. This is Saturday Sports Talk. Back in a minute.
program, you know how we like to delve into punk and new wave for our bump music, and obviously that's the case here with Morrissey getting things started, uh, Sister Emma Poet, New Order for Noah Crane and uh, Love Vigilantes, Joy Division, which was the precursor to New Order, with the familiar Love Will Tear Us Apart, your mandatory Ramones, Danger Zone off of uh, too Tough to Die, uh, Sugar, and Bob Bold into the Man on, on the Moon. And then we're stretching it a little bit today because of some sad news from the world of rock and roll. Foo Fighters, what you're hearing is Watershed off of the band's initial release back in 1995. Uh, the sad news being that drummer Taylor Hawkins, uh, prior to a uh, South American tour date last night, uh, died. Uh, he was just 50 years of age, left a wife, three kids. Uh, he and Dave Grohl, frontman for the Foo Fighters, you can do the six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing all day long. Uh, there would be no Foo Fighters if there was no Nirvana. There would be no Nirvana if there wasn't punk like the Sex Pistols and Black Flag and things like that. Uh, if you've ever seen any Foo Fighters videos or uh, concert movies or anything like that, uh, Hawkins very, very prevalent with a big bleep-eating grin on his face, hair going all over the place. Uh, he's like the human embodiment of the Muppets character Animal behind the drum kit. And really, really uh, sad news to uh, hear that he has passed away after 25 years with the Foo Fighters. He was a drummer for Alanis Morissette for a while. Um, it, 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 it saddens me because 50 is younger than I am. And to, to hear that happen is just uh, really tragic. So we wanted to uh, throw some Foo Fighters out there for you on Saturday Sports Talk today off their original release. 9.56 the time here on uh, Saturday Sports Talk. Uh, God, I, I thought I had something in my head I wanted to get out of my system. Um, well, we know that spring sports will be coming here soon uh, for the high school stuff. It does seem with just a, a, I had just a cursory look at the Hanover and Lebanon high school schedules. We'll start to see things like tennis and track um, the, the first week of April, about a another, uh, what, week and a half from now, uh, maybe a little bit longer. But it, it's interesting to see that the baseball schedules are kind of all over the place. Um, one of the unfortunate things from a timing standpoint for spring high school sports in this part of the country is that quite often they get started just at the spring break period for high schools around here, often mid-April to late April is when schools take a week off. And, of course, you have to deal with the ongoing issues of fields thawing out and stuff like that. And I can imagine with all the difficulties and all the reports we've been seeing uh, in uh, print publications around here about how bad the mud season is for the roads, I can imagine it's also probably bad from a field standpoint, and athletic directors probably don't want anybody to get out on the baseball diamonds and the softball diamonds and, and so on and so forth. So it's really understandable. Um, but you look at uh, baseball schedules, and Hanover doesn't play its first game until at least mid-April. Lebanon doesn't play its first game for maybe another week after that. It could be a while before things really get going. Uh, in fact, um, Carter Community Building Association, where Lebanon Tennis has its matches. Uh, I don't even think they've put the nets up yet. Uh, at least I don't recall seeing that last week. So uh, it, it's going to be some time. It seems like it's going to take a little while. You may have to uh, get your spring sports Jones in uh, going up to Dartmouth and, and seeing the big green. When everything hit the fan two years ago, uh, it was amazing how quiet it seemed, uh, even as high school winter sports wore down. Uh, and then last year, when uh, the Ivy League was the only conference in the country that decided not to have a season in any spring sport, um, the, the high schools kept us going, but uh, it really seemed kind of strange 
not having activity of a college nature up in Hanover, at least nothing of any major significance. So it's really nice to see baseball at home this weekend, softball at home this weekend. We'll get lacrosse in again real soon. It's back to normal, about as normal as it can get as uh, we kind of uh, crawl our way out of this pandemic. Still things to worry about, even though all the mask mandates are down. But uh, it, it's good to see things warming back up again up at Dartmouth College. I'm Greg Pennell. Thank you again to uh, Noah Crane for his part in today's edition of Saturday Sports Talk and talking about the Upper Valley Nighthawks. We'll uh, hopefully get some more guests here in the next couple of weeks to talk about other aspects of Upper Valley sports as we continue on. Bob Hingston, Rob Woodard coming up next for Valley Buzz momentarily. I'm Greg Fennell. This has been Saturday Sports Talk with WNTK and WUVR. Everybody, have a great weekend. Take care.